Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Who's This Podcast For? My name is Nate, and this podcast is for movie marketing and the Great American Bash 1988. I didn't know exactly what I was going to talk about in this one. I don't know if I want to do another watch along. I was going to maybe do a TV show, but I really want to do Succession, and it was an hour long. I was like, do I really want to watch a whole hour of Succession? I mean, I could. I really could, and, you know. If if I didn't wait so long trying to figure out what I want to do, I would have fired that up and done that. But that might be next week. Uh, first ever Succession Watch Along on the Pod, which has made my favorite show ever. So who knows? But um, this episode, we're going to watch a match from the Great American Bash 1988, the NWA. It's the Four Horsemen, uh, specifically Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard with J.J. Dillon in their corner versus Sting and Nikita Koloff, I think for the tag team belts. It opened the show, and I was just going through Peacock, and I was like, okay, that looks interesting. I want to see that. I definitely want to see some Arn. I've been thinking about Arn Anderson a lot lately. But first, I just wanted to get out a few ideas or a few thoughts on this video I had just saw. And it was about a movie called Babylon. And um, Babylon is one of my favorite movies of last year. I would say if you've seen it, but you probably haven't because it didn't do well at the box office. Not a lot of people saw it. And that's because of marketing, or mostly marketing. Maybe a little word of mouth, but I would say mostly marketing. And it was the, um, from the channel Come Watch TV on YouTube. Shout out to them. It says the awful marketing of Babylon. And I watched this entire video, and then it got me thinking, I kind of need to make my own, like, I need to, like, react to this video me after me watching it, and then going back and watching a bunch of old trailers of movies and stuff. It, I really got incensed to watch it, because it's something that I've been wanting to talk about recently, how bad movie marketing is right now, how bad it's been for a long time, but particularly in the last few years, post-COVID, it's been the worst where, mo- where most movies people don't even know are coming out. And if they do know, they don't even know what what the movie's about. Now, Babylon is about, if you don't know, the transition from silent era movies to the talkie. So it's set in the 1920s, early 30s in uh, Los Angeles, Hollywood. And it's about an upstart named Nellie Leroy, played by Margot Robbie, another bona fide superstar named Jack Conrad, played by Brad Pitt, and then an unknown guy trying to break into Hollywood named Manny, played by another unknown in terms of Hollywood, Diego Calva. And that's kind of the the overall aspect of the movie, how silent era filmmaking is gone, how they introduce sound. And you're just kind of in the lives of these three individuals as one of them starts a budding career, one of them's career starts to fall off, and the other one tries to start a new career out of thin air, right? The movie is long, and a lot of people say it's messy. I think it's ambitious, and it's bold, and it's creative, and it's doing a lot of things that movies today don't. And it's also created by the guy who made Whiplash and La La Land, Damien Chazelle, and First Man as well. Um, So you have all that going forward. It, made, it took a lot to make it. It was a big original feature, and it didn't do anything at the box office. It didn't get close to making its money back. We know that. But it also underperformed completely and by critics um, where a lot thought it was messy and bloated and things of that nature, whatever. This isn't even a conversation on the merit of the movie because that's going to depend on you and what you like from your movies and what you go to see movies for. I'm not here to debate whether you think Babylon is good or not because I bet the people who listen to this most of you probably didn't know it existed or haven't seen it anyway. Um, so that's fine. It's a problem of marketing, though, because I think this movie, no matter how it was perceived and received, it should have made more than it did at the box office. And it's a movie that prided itself on being in theaters only, not in streaming, which I salute. And I think more movies need to do that because I'm here to say F streaming. I ride for the theatrical release. I know that streaming has a lot of value in terms of old movies being seen, but whatever. In this modern 
rendition or in this modern landscape of uh of uh of movie theaters things of that nature we need the theaters to make things that people actually want to see or at least to hold in place and house movies that people actually want to see so why did this movie fail that much with everything going forward all the stars written and directed by a big time director from paramount has everything going for it i think the marketing and in that video i cited which i will say again is from the guy uh or from the channel rather i just had it now i can't find it okay it's from the channel come watch tv again the title is the awful marketing of babylon on youtube if you want to go find that uh video as i'm talking about it uh, he he goes over basically why this why this movie failed, and I read his um, his synopsis in his bio. In this video essay, I break down what we can learn from Babylon's terrible marketing, as it might be the worst movie marketing campaign of all time. I discuss the Babylon trailer, which is at best a confusing tone poem, and the social media posts for the film, which are some of the most clueless and tasteless pieces of content I've ever seen. Not a fan of him using content, but I understand what he's going for. And I'm not mad at it today because I agree with him in this point. Great video, by the way. And I recommend you, like I said, again, go watching it yourself. You'll get a better sense of what I'm talking about. But I've been having this conversation with my brother a while about movies not being marketed well today, but having a machine behind them and it's still failing. Now, marketing is more than just a movie's trailer. Marketing is how the movie is seen on TV and the TV spots and you know, since the advent of social media, that's another way to market your movie. It's not all just the trailer, but the trailer is a big piece. And in that bio I just read you about that video, it talks about the trailer. I like the Babylon trailer, but I'm different than most people who watch movies. As you guys know, if you listen to this pod, you know, I go to the movies often. I've been to the movies. I went to the movies yesterday to see a movie called Infinity Pool that I recommend. Is it different? Yes. Is it nasty? Kind of. Is it weird and crazy? You bet. And a lot of people probably not going to want to see it because it is weird, but I do recommend it. It's a good movie, I think. It's called Infinity Pool. It's playing in theaters right now, I think. And probably not for long because movies today don't be in theaters for long. That's another problem that we'll talk about another day. But back to the point, I don't need much to go see a movie. I definitely don't need more than a teaser trailer Hell, I don't even need the teaser trailer if I already know about the movie. And I'm the type of person who knows about a movie months before a trailer even drops. That's how tapped in I am. I am. And I know that most people are not like that. I'm, (laughs) what's the best way to say this? I live for the idea of movies as much as I live for the actual movie itself. Most of the time, the movie doesn't even live up to the idea of the movie. And when it does, you get something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which he cites in the video, the uh, Come Watch TV or whatever the channel was again. I'll say it again. Come Watch TV. Yeah. He cites Once Upon a Time in his video of how to market a movie correctly, especially in your trailer and make people want to see it. Most people who go to movies, they need to know what the movie is going to be. They're going to spend their money. They're going to spend their time. That's both two very valuable things, time especially, because you can't get that back. You can make more money. You can't get the time back. And they're going to at least want to know a semblance. Now, movie trailers for 50 years have always given us too much, which is why a lot of people opt not to even watch them anymore because they say you're giving too much. You're giving away everything. There is nothing left to be surprised about when we go. But at the same token, You don't want to confuse people either, at least people who need a trailer to know if they're going to go watch a movie or not. Again, me, be more confusing, be be less, you know, more discreet. Uh, You can show me nothing in the trailer, and that'll be a better trailer for me because I don't want to know anything anyway, but I'm different. I'm going to see the movie regardless. A lot of people are on the fence. Most people who have, you know, families and things of that nature, and I have a small family, but most people who have family and kids and actually have to prioritize their time a certain way they're not trying to be confused by a trailer and they definitely are not going to sit there and decipher and run the trailer back over and over trying to figure out what this movie's about part of the reason why babylon failed was because nobody could figure out what the movie was about and the trailer is just a lot of come 
see the wildest party of the year. And people are like, okay, well, is that what they're going to do the whole time? Are they going to party the whole time? And that's definitely not what they do the whole time, but you wouldn't know that from the trailer because they mention nothing of premise, plot. They kind of give you characters, but we don't know what the characters are doing. We don't really even know what they want outside of, I want something bigger, which is what Margot Robbie's character says. And then Diego Calvo's character says, um, I want to be part of something that means something. Okay, what does that have to do with what's going to actually happen in the movie? Now, you can infer from that that that's probably like we just want to make big stuff and be remembered forever. That's what I would infer. And I like the trailer, but I do think it didn't serve a purpose because, again, we're talking about marketing here. Marketing a movie, meaning I am presenting this to the public and I want you to, I want you to see this. And remember, most people... <laughs> in the world, I was going to say the country, but in the world, need things kind of told to them in a certain way. I'm not calling anybody stupid or anything like that. Hell, I like, you know, most people need their hand held with certain things. Most people don't like weird stuff just to be weird. Most people don't like the esoteric. And most people don't like strange things, especially in their, in their mediums, or in their media, their quote-unquote content. I hate that, despise that word, but so you can understand what I'm, what I mean. Most people don't like that stuff, and they definitely don't like vague. Now, most people also don't like you giving away everything, because, like I said, what else is there to chew on when we actually get to the movie? Unless you're subverting and you're pulling the rug under, which could go one of two ways. It could go well, but it also could fail, and it has before. We have many countless examples of how a movie has tried to subvert expectations, and then the fans. Or, or, or the viewers or whatever didn't like it because that's not what they signed up for based on what they saw in the trailer or what have you. So Babylon failed in that sense. You didn't get the people excited about what you wanted, uh, about what the movie is, other than it's the biggest party of the year. They're like, okay, um, what's going to happen? What, what after the party is there to continue me to watch this three-hour movie which is already a daunting task for people who don't want to be in a movie theater for three hours with uh 30 minutes of <laughs> of trailers before that you're pushing four hours in the theater if it starts on time and that's sometimes not a given so again for somebody like me it's fine for most people it's not and then their whole and in the video which i'm going to cite a lot of in the video he talks about um, their social media thing, like, or their social media marketing, how on TikTok they will put up memes or, or TikToks promoting the movie on like Paramount's page on TikTok or whatever. Um, and it being like modernized, modernized like memes and like things that you see on Twitter currently. But this is a movie set in the 20s. So maybe it should have leaned into more of a novelty aspect or maybe like a a nostalgic aspect or a throwback or a, a vintage aspect instead of using modern day tropes to sell a movie based in the 20s and 30s. And I know that they were trying to get a young audience, but they maybe went about it the wrong way. But most of the young audience, and, and the guy talks about this in the video, likes nostalgia anyway. So it would have behooved you to pitch it as a nostalgia thing. But they went very modern for an old movie that also doesn't feel that old anyway. Again, I would say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though its trailer didn't feel necessarily old, it felt more nostalgic and vintage than Babylon did. And that could be part of the filmmaking or what have you. And again, I love both movies. And then that's for another day, the, the quality of it, which I, I love Babylon. It's probably my first or second favorite movie of last year. But I understand why some people, you know, maybe didn't even see it to begin with. Now, the second trailer works better in terms of, like, telling you a little bit about what's going on. But by, th but by that point, it's too late. And also, nobody knew this thing existed. That's another big problem with marketing. They just expect people to know. And uh, the guy mentioned a great point in the video how in the trailer they said from acclaimed director Damien Chazelle, 
but it never said from the guy who made you whiplash and la la land so people are like oh that's him because it's this it's this inference or this like i'm assuming that people know this guy that irks me in hollywood like i was having a conversation with my brother and we were arguing about how many people actually know who greta gerwig is and i would be like and he thinks that you know because okay greta gerwig coming out with barbie this year with margot robbie coincidentally and ryan gosling and amongst others and we were talking about you know it's coming out the same day as christopher nolan's oppenheimer christopher nolan's one of the few people in hollywood who can sell a movie based on his name alone you don't have to say from the creator of the dark knight from the creator of dunkirk from the creative interstellar from the creator of such and such right but they do it anyway i went back and watched the tenant trailer just a few minutes ago and it says from the visionary director of the dark knight and dunkirk and interstellar even though it also says from a Christopher Nolan film, you know his name already, but it just reaffirms why you should want to go see this movie. If you had any doubts, he made all of that other stuff. You could have done that with Damien Chazelle. Said from the creator of Whiplash, from the creator who gave you La La Land, who also gave you First Man. Just throw that one in there too. It just helps a little bit. It might not mean a world of difference, but it helps. But to assume that everybody knows Damien Chazelle, let me get back to my Greta Gerwig point. I was telling him that nobody knows who that is outside of film circles. And again, you can be very insular in your own little communities. He believes that maybe more people know her because he is in communities that know her by name. And I'm like, if they're going to market that movie right, they better say from the creator of uh, Lady Bird and the creator of Little Women in 2019, which did good business. But that was before COVID, so you got to keep that in mind, too. Um, you might want to keep that in mind because it will behoove you to not just assume people know who this lady is because she made a few movies that we like as a film community. Most people are not in that. They watch movies for fun, not to analyze and overanalyze and talk all day about them. So you might want to <laughs> try to appeal to a larger audience. Barbie's already very appealing to a larger audience, but... Don't assume that that's going to get people in the seats, especially on the same weekend coming out at the same time as Oppenheimer, which on its own wouldn't be a big deal because most people don't even know what that name means. It's the creator of the atomic bomb, but it's made by Christopher Nolan. And I guarantee you they're going to market that movie as the creator of the dark Knight, amongst other things, Christopher Nolan's new movie and who will win out. I think that Oppenheimer will win out big over Barbie. Not because it's necessarily going to be a better movie, even though I think it probably will be, but I'm impartial to Nolan, and I like Greta Gerwig a lot, but I don't, from the trailer, that movie doesn't look that good either, and that movie's already off to a weird start because it used 2001 A Space Odyssey for a bit of a joke, and I think that they're going to realize that that might have been a bad choice. I could be wrong. I personally think you don't really go with classics like that even though you know it, it, it was tongue-in-cheek it wasn't that serious but it kind of was because you're putting the the barbie there in this in the place of the um of the big square thing from 2001 a space odyssey with the monkeys hitting the um hitting the skulls and you got her big statuesque body there and then you actually get to pieces of the movie and it doesn't look that good to me so that movie has a long i think that movie has a real battle by the time it comes out in june or july that Oppenheimer is already crossed with all of the publicity it's getting about making its own atomic bomb. Uh, Chris Vanola made a real bomb in camera with never before used black and white film stock for IMAX cameras. Like this dude has already started a year out. He started last summer promoting this movie with a trailer and everything. We're about what, six months away. The word of mouth is already crazy. It'll be the biggest movie of the summer, I believe, over Marvel and Indiana Jones 5, everything else. And it's because of the marketing and because of the name value. And to take it all, all the way back, let's talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was probably my favorite movie of 2019. It made a bunch of money worldwide, I think 200 something million worldwide, maybe 400, something like that. And it didn't even go to China. And it did that well. 
And yes, it's because Quentin Tarantino's name is on the marquee. And it says the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. I just rewatched this trailer too. But this trailer is so much better than the Babylon trailer because it sets up Rick Dalton, who is Leonardo DiCaprio, sets up Cliff Booth as his stuntman, Brad Pitt, Sharon Tate. It tells you, Margot Robbie, by the way, it gives you a sense of the world, uh, said August 1969, so you know where it is. Hollywood, movie making industry, big stars. But then it's telling you a little bit of the premise and the plot, like Rick Dawn saying, it's official, old, old buddy, I'm a has-been. And then I play that in my mind and compare it to Jack Conrad in the Babylon trailer being like, when I got to L.A., the signs on the door said, no actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. And then uh, the Gene Smart character saying, it's bigger than you. Okay, but like, what's bigger than him? Is it the industry? It's telling you nothing about what they're going through. Maybe him having a bit of a midlife crisis or feeling like he's a bit inadequate. It was inferred. I do think they tried. I just don't think it was said enough. And again, like I said, you gotta, you kind of got to hold people's hand through some of this stuff. And that's just one aspect. The Once Upon a Time of Hollywood trailer sets up everything. Sets up Rick Dalton's conflict with Charles, I mean, Cliff Booth's conflict with Charlie uh, Manson, Charles Manson. Uh, Rick Dalton being scared that his movies are done and he's and has been. Uh, Margot Robbie's character, uh, Sharon Tate, sitting next door to Rick Dalton. So now you got a sense of placement of characters and how he might try to save his career based on her. It tells you to infer a little bit, but it's also giving you way more concrete, like premise, story, structure, like what's a little bit of the plot, what's going to happen. And that's the best trailer. The best trailers give you a little bit of everything it tells you a little bit of what the movie's about a little bit of the characters some of the plot maybe not too much you don't want to give away everything but a general sense of what the movie is you're going to get and maybe you leave a few surprises out here and there babylon went the other way of most trailers especially big blockbuster trailers that give you everything and you're like man you i saw this movie in the two minutes that you were meant to make me want to see the movie i saw it you gave me everything. Babylon did the complete opposite where it's like, you didn't give me enough. And again, the trailer worked for me, but I was going to see it anyway. I was never on the fence. A lot of people didn't even know this what this movie was until it was out. One tweet from that video I keep referencing said, like, I went to see Avatar and I saw a, a banner above me of Babylon. And like, I didn't even know what that was. So by the time you were seeing Avatar, which came out about two weeks before Babylon, you didn't even know it was out and the movie it was coming out. And the movie to that point had been marketing it itself for months. That tells you how bad the marketing was for that movie. And that's why it didn't do well at the theaters. People didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. The runtime is daunting, and especially if you don't know what's going on. Maybe people don't know Damien Chazelle as a household name, so they didn't feel the need to run out and see it. Margot Robbie, <laughs> Brad Pitt, it didn't matter. And it came out at Christmas, and the biggest party of the year at Christmas. I don't know when Wolf of Wall Street came out, which I feel like most people will say is like a spiritual cousin to this. Um, but let me see here. I'm going to look it up, because if that came out at Christmas too, and it made a bunch of money, it made a bunch of money with what Wall Street did then, you know. And I watched that trailer too back, and it's pretty good. A big song, Matthew McConaughey is in the Leonardo DiCaprio. Matthew McConaughey is in the trailer. He's not even in the movie that long. So that tells you. Yep, it came out December 25th, 2013. It made $406.9 million. And you watch that trailer, and it's, it's setting you up, right? It's giving you everything you need to know what this movie is about. But it also has Leo. Like I said, it gives you a scene with Matthew McConaughey. He's not even in it. Jonah Hill. It says from Martin Scorsese. Uh, but by that point, he didn't need to say, like, from Goodfellas, from, you know, Raging Bull, from such and such. You know it's Marty. So, But Damien Chazelle only put out three movies before, so I think they jumped the gun in that aspect. And again, it wasn't going to bring in $100 million in terms of revenue, but I just think it helps. Every little bit helps. 
And then also, you just didn't see the movie on TV. You didn't see TV spots. I mean, you did kind of, but <laughs> like for instance, Knock at the Cabin, the new M Night movie coming out this weekend. You should go see it. By the way, I'm gonna go see it. Um, I've been seeing that trailer all over ESPN, all on TV. That's how you market a movie. You know, you can't just do it on social media. That's not the real world. I want people to understand. Whatever people are saying on social media is not necessarily what the world dictates. Now, some people dictate their real world based on social media, but those people live on the internet all day. Most people don't. Most people have real lives. They only see things on their phone, maybe if they're scrolling on YouTube or something, maybe. Or they see it on TV or out and about when they're, you know, maybe at the gym and the TVs are on up there on like ESPN or ABC. That's where the real marketing dollars come into play. Unless your thing is based on internet success, then sure. But this movie took, what, $100 million to make. I think that a lot of that probably went to the actors. And the rest should have went to getting that thing on TV as much as possible. But, you know, with better marketing to actually explain what this thing is, what we're doing with this story. While I appreciate it, I know that I'm different. I'm in the minority. Most people actually want to know what it is that they're going to see. And based on the box office results, um, I can't, I can't blame them. I will say this movie marketing in general sucks right now. And the, I don't think they have any idea of what's going to do well and how it's going to do well. and Why? I think they're just kind of shooting the dark. I hope they hit except for the big stuff like Tom Cruise or Top Gun Maverick, like all of that stuff, you kind of have an idea that it's going to hit. Maybe not as good as it did, but you know. Um, but yeah, for the most part, these trailers aren't good. But a lot of these movies aren't good. So it is hard to judge the trailer. But I like like I said, I went on like a little bit of a, a binge of old trailers. That Logan trailer from 2017 by James Mangold, who's going to do Indiana Jones 5 this year, that Logan trailer with the Johnny Cash song, um, and it explains everything that's happening because Logan's older, like, and Professor X is older, and and they're worn down. You can't keep fighting. And, you, and um, at the end, he says, you still have time, Logan, but time isn't on his side, even though he's the guy who could always fight through time because of his uh, adamantium bones and everything. But even that's starting to turn against him because – it's, it's becoming the end, which is crazy why he's about to come back and reprise that role because he has such a great ending. It's so stupid, and it reeks of Hollywood being uh, creatively bankrupt to have nothing to bring back these old people and these old characters instead of doing something new. Like, what a perfect send-off for a character in one of the really only great comic book movies ever, in my opinion, and He's coming back to be with Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds, who was just awful. But anyway, I watched the Logan trailer and how great it is with the song choice. And it's giving you just enough plot, just enough of the themes. It's telling you the characters and the and the bad guys and the good guys. And it's giving you a bit of everything and how the movie's going to feel. Uh, that's what you want a trailer to do. It's like I said, and I'm going to try to pull it up. I saw this uh, before I end this segment. I'm going to pull up the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood trailer, and I implore you to go back and watch it. It's the trailer number one. Uh, well, it's the official trailer from... Nope, it's not that one. I thought it was this one from Sony Pictures Entertainment, but it's not that one. Let's see here. Let me see if I can find it. Um. Yes, was it Sony Pictures Entertainment? I don't think so. Sony Pictures Entertainment official teaser trailer. Uh, nope, it's not that one either. I just saw this. Look, where is it? Hold on. I think this is right. Oh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's see. Uh... I don't know why I can't find this. Why? I get on here and I can't find this stuff. Is this it? No, it's trailer number two. 
Well, I think that this is somebody said I didn't understand anything from the trailer, but we'll watch for the cast of Tarantino. Uh, so that's pretty much the antithesis of everything I've been saying. But the fact that it's Tarantino, so you can get away with it once you're on that level. But most people are not on that level. So Damien Chazelle, I think, realized he's not on that level yet, even though he's a great filmmaker, one of the best we have. But, you know. It takes more than uh, than just that. But I'm going to find this trailer. I'm going back to the YouTube on my TV. That's where I watched it. Because it had a great quote. Okay, it's the Sony Pictures releasing UK official trailer. 1.6 million views. Once upon a time in Hollywood. And I was, I'm not going to watch it. I already watched it. But it was, a, it was a comment that I saw that I really wanted to highlight before we get off this segment. Somebody said, this is exactly what a trailer should be. And this was three years ago by Mexican on Games. This is exactly what a trailer should be. I swear, every every movie trailer nowadays shows us literally the entire story, even the climax. This trailer introduces us to the characters, shows us the setting and premise, and hints at part of the plot. Effing brilliant. Mexican on Games said three years ago. And that's, that's pretty much exactly what I was talking about. All right, we're back. Okay, that's my 30 minutes or so on movie marketing, specifically Babylon. Um, Love the movie. If it's still in your theater, try to go see it. It's good, I promise. Um, But anyway, now we're going to get to a watch along. I told you I was um, on the Great American Bash 88. I don't know why this one I chose but I definitely wanted to get into it. The main attraction for this one was Ric Flair versus Lex Luger for the um, the NWA World Heavyweight title. And that's not the match we're going to watch because I don't want to. And, you know, I love Ric Flair, but Lex Luger, eh, whatever. Uh, 1988. So this first match of the show, like I said, was James J. Dillon, J.J. Dillon, with Arn Anderson or in the corner of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, the four horsemen who had attacked the champions, I believe against Nikita Koloff with hair, which is crazy to see. But by this point in 88, he had grew back out and a surfer sting, not the black crow sting yet, but a surfer sting, bodybuilder sting. And I haven't seen this match. So we're going to watch it together. Let me see. I'm at the 152 mark. And again, this is WCW, The Great American Bash, 1988. You can find it on Peacock. Hopefully, you can find it on YouTube. Maybe if you type it in, you'll find it. But, you know, for the purposes of this watch along, it's on Peacock. Uh, Shout out to them for all of this free uh, publicity I'm giving them. Even though I'm really not, but, you know. Okay, if we're ready, we can get started. I don't know how long this is going to be, maybe 20 minutes or so. It'll fly by because, you know, Arn and Tully staying Nikita Koloff, this should be good. So we're going to start it off when I cut down from five. We're going to say press play now. Remember, we're at the 152 mark. That's where I have it paused. So five, four, three, two, one. Press play now. I hope you can't hear it. it. Says with a 20 minute time limit. Introducing first the challengers. Yeah, Arn and Tully are the champions right now. Against Nikita with hair is crazy. And Sting. If you hear me sipping, that's my water bottle. Um, if you didn't know what that was. And I got my fruities on deck, my candy. Shout out to Jazz. Got me the big bag. I don't need them, but they're here, so now I got to eat them. Look at Arn and Tully with the red. The red um, knee brace with the black tights. And whatever color boost they had on. 
always worked with the white boots. Arn was the perfect wrestler in terms of look. That's how a wrestler's supposed to look. Tully looks great too. But Arn is the best, man. Got the white tape. Look at the belt on him. Those belts were beautiful. The white tape, the black stripes with the little red accent. The red knee braces with the white boots with the little red accent. Coordinated, colorful, but still about the cuz say but bad a um uh, the best and that's that's really why I'm watching it. I like Sting too a lot. I love his, I love this period of Sting before he gets the you know, around the time when he goes for the belt against Ric Flair in the late eighties, early nineties before he became the crow and all of that with the long black hair and stuff. This thing was great. And so now we get it started with a jump and they just start throwing punches and blows. Nikita and Steam make the heels bail after the cheap shot on Steam from Tully, I think. Yeah, Steam got the yellow pants with the black boots, with the face paint, and the big blonde hair. Nikita with the um, red trunk, I mean, with the red knee, uh, knee pads, with the singlet, with the black singlet, because you know, he's from Russia, so he's from the USSR. But arm, boom, big, big clothesline from Sting. He was so athletic around this time, too. And arm's such a great seller, man. Sting, boom, right over the top rope. And the crowd's going crazy. Sting was so over, man. Boom, big punch. Sting could throw a great punch. And arm did the staggered look so well. Boom, big shoulder to him. Arm going to the top rope. Boom, comes off with an axe handle, but Sting blocks it. And now we're going to slow it down with a with an arm bar. A lot of action in the early going of this. They jump-started really well. I don't know all the backstory to this. I don't know how they came to be in this feud. Um, but, yeah, see, Arn didn't have the best body in terms of abs or anything, but he looked like a grown man. And that's all you really needed. He was taller. He was in good shape. He was not like he was a slub or nothing, but, you know, he just didn't have the bodybuilder look, but that didn't, it didn't mean he couldn't work. It didn't mean he wasn't an athlete. And ring psychology-wise, Arm might have been the best ever. Up there with, like, Jake and a few others. Jake the Snake Roberts I'm talking about. Boom, Arm goes for the, <laughs> the elbow and misses Nikita right back on him. And this is how you slow the match down after you start hot. You got to slow it down. You can start hot because, you know, let's get the people a little bit of uh, action early. Now you got to slow it down and start working. You got to put the psychology in. You got to make it, you know, it's a wrestling match, so we got to slow it down. Nikita with his hair is crazy. I've never seen this. This is 1988. Two years before, he was a bald-head Russian. Now he's like, <laughs> you got to hold... Look at this, like, flat top kind of thing he got going. It's crazy. Got the, uh, thought he got the tag to Tully, but I guess he didn't. Still working over Arn's arm as he's trying to get up. Been in this spot for a minute. Arn trying to get out now. Pushing Nikita back to the ropes. Ref's doing a count. They're still holding on to each other in the turnbuckle. Arn trying to get his arm out. And he goes for a punch down low. Now he's going for some big kicks, trying to get the feeling back in his arm. Boom. Ran him off. Boom. Thought he hit the corner. Arn did. Turn around. Boom. Big clothesline. Another clothesline from Tully who tried to come in. And the crowd is getting hyped from the key to call off. Boom, and he gets a big um, <laughs> a big high five from Sting as the crowd is cheering. And he goes for the cover. But the ref is, the ref gets there late because he's dealing with Tully Blanchard. But Arn gets his foot on the rope, so no three count. And now Sting is coming back in with the tag. Takes Arn's arm, and they go back to working that arm. 
in the early going of this match, you know that they're gonna take the heels are gonna take over at some point, but you want to shine the baby face for a while at the beginning. And now he go on, boom, shuts off, boom, big neatest thing. Trying to get the feeling back in that left arm of his. And he's going to the top rope. I don't know about this. Stain gets there. Up, oh, but Arn rakes him in the eyes. <laughs> Arn jumps down off the top rope and goes straight for a sleeper hole because Stain turned his back. Boom, but then Stain kind of throws him into the turnbuckle. That was nice. And now, boom, drop the leg on that arm. And they're back to working that arm. Sting, look, he's catching his breath a little bit. Sting got the bleach blonde hair. It's tied at the back, kind of like a mullet. Dude look crazy right here. And he's jacked. Steve Borden. Still doing it today. That's crazy. But now Arm has gotten his arm. And Tully Clunk comes in to help. <coughs> and Sting throws Tully off of him. Hits Arn in the stomach. Boom, big clothesline to both of them. Tully tried to help Arm, but it didn't work. And then Nikita, I think, punches on. So the Bayfaces are still working the heels over. But now here comes Tully Blanchard. He comes in. Finally, Arn gets the tag. And Tully gets shot off. Boom. Big hip toss. Another hip toss. And now they're working on Tully's arm. And Nikita comes back in. Boom. Big kick to this gut. Look like they have a bit of a like they have some bad blood right here. But now they're still working the arm. Tully's trying to get out with all his mic, trying to get to the ropes. And he finally does. Nikita pulls him off. Gets to the rope again. Nikita pulls him back off. Still working over the arms. I like this match. It feels happening today. A lot of people call it boring. Especially, you know, whatever. But the the um, announcers are saying that they're in control. Now Nikita getting some kind of lock-in with both arms. One behind his back. and uh, It's an interesting lock. Somebody threw something in the ring. Like a piece of paper or something. Nikita is basically stretching Tully Blanchard now. It's interesting. But he keeps getting his shoulder up as not to lose the match. But Nikita got like a got like a this is like a key lock. It's, it's weird, man. Never seen this. And Tully's trying to get to the ropes and he does. And now the ref is trying to break the count until Nikita has to get off of him. And Tully Blanchard is trying to get out the ring but Nikita said, oh no you don't. And here comes Stain back in. And he goes to the corner with that arm. Shoots him off. Tully shoots him off. Runs in. Boom. Shoulder right to the ring post. Didn't work how he wanted it to. And now they go down. One, two, kick out. And he ran to a corner. Tully did. I think he thought it was his. Nikita gives him the old... Slap behind the head, and then Sting with a big measure punch. One, two, two count. Totally trying to get back to his partner. But Sting pulls him right back to the middle of the ring. Tags in Nikita again. They're cutting off the ring. This is good tag team work. Cutting off the ring, not letting him get back to his partner. Nikita, boom, runs Tully's shoulder first into the uh, ring post as he tries to get back to, t- to Arn again, but he can't. So... Th- and Arn thought he got the tag because he hit his foot. Wait a minute. Who's the baby faces here? This is interesting. Because Nikita just did a fake tag and clapped. And then Steen came in while the ref's back was turned to Arn. That's usually a heel move. I don't know if they're doing a double switch turn here. I don't I thought that Arn and Tully would be the heels because they usually are, but Based on this, that might be the baby face. But I doubt it, though. But now Nikita 
I think the ref realized that it didn't happen. So Nikita comes back in that the tag didn't happen. Uh, like the tape kind of skipped a little bit, but it came back on. That was cool. That lets you know this is older. Um, Tully went for a kick. Nikita caught it, spent them around. Here we go. Atomic drop off the ropes back into an arm bar. I like the atomic drop. Boom, lands them. Then they go into the ropes, come back, and they do a move right out. Or they do the atomic drop out of the ring. I always like that, too. They are still working over these arms, man. It's very interesting. Tully Blanchard back up to his feet with a up. Thought he had a rollover, but Nikita held on to that arm. And that's still working. It's totally trying to get back to his corner to get Arn in. And Arn gets it. And Koloff runs back to his partner. Uh, run back to his partner once he sees and waits in his corner. As Arn is incensed because he thought he had him. But Nikita saw it and got back to the corner. So now they're going to reset it here. And go for a little, what is this, a test of strength. Trying to fill each other out a little bit. Yep, they do a lockup. This deep into the match, they do a lockup. You don't see that anymore. Once the first one's over, that's pretty much it for modern day wrestling. They went back to a lockup here. Boom, now Arn's throwing these big punches to the gut. Runs him off. Nikita with the drop down, tries to triple Finally trips on and go back to the arm work. And Nikita, I think it was a real shooter, so he he doing some stuff here. And that's what I'm saying. Closer to a real sporting match. This has felt like a real sporting event, like a real contest with strategy. And, you know, it's a structure to the match that might be invisible to the naked eye if you really thought that this was real. But it should always look real. It should always feel real. And you should be questioning whether it's legit or not. And so far, this has looked as real as any other sport. And that's kind of what it's supposed to be. And Arn's trying to get back to his corner. You can see it on his face. And Nikita's trying to hold in these locks. And Nikita looks like he's actually um, a real like Greco-Roman wrestler. He's moving around and Arn kicks the leg out. Uh, tries to until he gets the tag, and now they're starting to take over. And now Tully's working on that leg, that arm just back kicked on Nikita. Nikita shoots him off, boom, a big choke, drop down, whatever that was. Uh, stopping Tully right in his tracks. And then Tully gets up with the, with the knee, shoots him off, and a big uh, shoulder block by Nikita. I don't know what happened there. Boom, and big clothesline. And they both go over the ring to the outside. Nikita holds on, though, but he did go over the ropes. But, yeah, man, it just feels like a real contest. I implore you, if you're listening and not watching, go find this. Again, this is the Great American Bash, 1988. This is Arn and Tully versus Nikita Koloff and Sting for the World Tag Team uh, titles. And it's just what I be talking about, about, you know, the most authentic feeling wrestling. And it's in a big building with a lot of crowd. And it works. It works for this kind of match. But you don't need it the whole time. And J.J. Dillon pulls Nikita Koloff as he's trying to go for the win after the slingshot. Uh, power, uh, not power, but after the, the slingshot uh, suplex, he puts him on the ring post, backs up and tries to hit him. And JJ moves, and then Arn takes over Nikita, and boom, bashes him into the ring post. But Sting gets there and tries to stop him. As the ref implores him to get back to his side of the uh <laughs> of the ring, but Arn takes a cheap shot on Nikita there. So I think that's your break spot. Or that's your heat spot. 
they throw Nikita into the ring post. He gets hit by it twice, actually. And so now you take over. Now the heels take over after a long period of shining the baby face. Now the heels are starting to take over. And Arm Boone with a scoop slam on Nikita right on his arm. The same shoulder and arm he just hit on the turn post. So that's continuity. You definitely want to target the afflicted area since it's already hurt. And now they're working on Nikita's arm. And you see where the psychology comes into place. And everything makes sense. It all makes sense in the context of the match. And that's that's really ultimately, you know, that's I, ideally what you want. As somebody who never wrestled, not in the industry, I'm not, I'm not pretending to be, but I've watched for a long time and I've listened to all of the greats talk about it. This is ideally what you want. And I would like to maybe own my own little own promotion one day. This is what I look for, people who work like this and who want to work like this and not the people who want to do all the other stuff that, in my opinion, is the antithesis of wrestling, but that's one man's opinion. Doesn't make it the the whole truth. But, hey, I'm going to listen to the people who actually done it at a high level, and they all kind of agree with me So because I listen to them. So, yeah, that's where I got it from. Now, I didn't come up with it out of nowhere. I got it from the people who actually made money in the business. But uh, Nikita's hulking up, for lack of a better term, trying to fight off Arn, but it's not working. He's getting more upset as Arn realizes with his facial expression. Boom, big punch. Second, third, shoots him off. Boom, big DDT by Arn. And he puts his hands up. Nikita was trying, but Arn Arn overcame it. And it planted him too high. He took it one, two. Nikita kicks out at the last second. His, never mind. (laughs) Boom, arm still targeting that arm. And now we get Tully Blanchard back in. And they're going to keep going. Boom, a big, whatever that was, (laughs) on Nikita's arm. And now an arm breaker, whatever you call it. One, two, Nikita kicks out. Still working over that arm. And the commentator just mentioned something about a draw. Remember, in these days, there was time limits added to the drama of the match and the entry. So there's a 20-minute time limit. And apparently, they have three minutes to the time limit. So they better get going. Um trying to make Nikita tap, trying to make him give up because of the pain on the shoulder and the arm, but they're running out of time and they definitely don't want to tie because then that might mean a rematch. And I think that the heels are scared, so arms going up to the second rope. Boom! Went for something, but Nikita put his knees up, hit him right in the sternum and the and the abdomen. So Arn is down and grieving in pain as Nikita's trying to get over to Sting, but he's at the wrong corner <laughs> and totally... Gets the uh, tag up, and there it goes. Tully tries to stop him, but Nikita gets to the corner before he can, and here goes Sting, back body drop. Big drop kick from Sting. He's a big man doing that drop kick. Boom, a big kick to arm. Takes him out. Now Sting is running with a house of fire. The crowd went crazy, too. And I can't see him with a press slam to Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard's a big man, but Sting got him up there like it was nothing, and Sting's a huge man. And he cheering. Boom, big bulldog on Arn Anderson. The crowd's going crazy. Sting could have a baby face come back like nobody else. But a big punch by Arn. Trying to get the tag. Tully gets it in. And now they're taking back over. Oh, missed the punch. Goes for an atomic slam. Oh. Tully's tried to go for one. Boom, big uh, drop kick by Sting. So Tully thought he had him, but he did not. Boom, hits Arn and Tully's heads together in a headbutt. Takes them both down. And the commentator said he needs to go for the pin. The Scorpion Deathlock will be the coup de grace right here. Because the time is running out. Tully gets tagged to Arn. Arn with a kick to uh, Sting. Throws him off the ropes. Sting throws him off the ropes. Boom, big um, chokes. Uh, sleeper hole, one minute left, they said. Got it locked in on Arn. Arn better hold on, or they could win the belts right here. But boom, big elbow. 
Big punch to the stomach. Big uh, tag to Tully. Going for the slingshot. I mean, or going for the uh, suplex. Tully comes in. <laughs> tried to get uh, Sting over on the sunset flip off the top rope. But it doesn't work. And Nikita comes in and levels Arn Anderson. And now it's breaking down. And Tully, Blanchard, and Sting are the only ones in the ring. Blanchard goes into the corner. Sting splash on him. And Sting has 20 seconds left to get this pin. And Nikita Koloff takes out Arn. And here you go. He got the Scorpion Deathlock on. And Nikita Koloff is trying to stop JJ and Arn from stopping this. 6, 4, 3, 2, 1. And that's it. The bell rings. So now the question is, did he submit? Did he did he tap out? Totally. And the conversation, I think Blanchard held on. He didn't um he didn't he didn't tap out. What a finish, by the way. The crowd is cheering because they think that Sting and Nikita Koloff won. But Tully didn't give up. And the refs and the officials at ringside are trying to discuss this and see what happened, along with James J. J. Dillon trying to tell him that, look, he didn't tap out. And here's the decision, wrestling fans. This match went through the time limit. The match is declared a draw, meaning the belts will not change hands. And the fans are booing. So the champions, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, will remain just that champions. What a match, too. And that ending is amazing because it's so hectic and chaotic. You saved that for the end, especially with a time limit draw. I pretty much set you up for that. Um, but Nikita and Sting are leaving with the belts, even though they didn't win, but they got as close as they could, says the commentator. Uh, so they're taking them off now, but they're still holding them. So Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson will remain your world title, uh, world tag team title champions, uh, be- because they didn't lose. It was a time limit draw, and that's just the opening match to the Great American Bash. But dang, with matches like that, how could it get any better? All right, man, I want to thank y'all for uh, listening to this to this episode. Um, really fun stuff. I, th- I was about to turn this off, <laughs> but then I looked back up and I see Nikita and uh, Sting got back in the ring <laughs> with Arn and Tully and I guess like punched them as they got the belts. Uh because, you know, Tully and Arn did technically win, so they keep the belts. But Nikita and Sting were like, we won. We deserve those. We beat them. We were better than them. So this isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. With JR, a young Jim Ross here saying, if it could go two more minutes, we'd have new champions right now. But it was a time limit, so I just wanted to finish that up. Um, but I'd like to thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening. Really fun episode. I like mixing. A watch along with me just kind of talking about stuff. I did tell y'all I saw Infinity Pool, which I think is really good. It's in theaters right now. It's a bit different. And there was a trailer in front of it n- named Enos Men. E-N-Y-S, I think. I need to look this up real quick before we before we get out of here. Because that trailer blew my socks off. And I want to make sure I knew it's called Enos Men. E-N-Y-S Men. So now we're in 31 minutes. Horror psychological horror. From Neon, the same uh, di- distribution company that did Infinity Pool. And it's so eerie, it looks so scary with this boxy aspect ratio from a movie of a bygone era. Look like it's filmed on either Super 8 or 16 millimeter film. It looked grainy, old, but it looks so cool and so dope and terrifying. And this, this coming from me, somebody who do not like scary movies. So I was really excited about that. But Infinity Pool, I support it give it a thumbs up go see it if you got time 
And next week, I don't know what we're going to do. Told you I'm not going to tell you beforehand what we're going to do because I don't be knowing myself. But, um, again, I thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got for you. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Peace out.